Turn with me, if you would, to First John. First John, chapter one. read down through this first chapter of this letter. First John chapter 1, what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, and what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. And the life was manifested and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write so that our joy may be made complete. This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you, that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. May the Lord bless the reading of his word to our hearts. As John writes this letter, he's exercising his apostolic office, responsibility to give testimony to Christ to Jesus, to the reality of Jesus' incarnation, and certainly, as John wrote his gospel and through his letters, is also preaching the resurrection. But here, John speaks of the word of life, the end of verse 1. He's heard, he's seen, he's looked at. It's a long gaze and actually touched the word of life. And you can see the word, word is capital W, and the word life is capital L. Both of those would be titles of Jesus. John, in his gospel, of course, said the word became flesh and dwelt among us. But Jesus also said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so both the word and life apply to this person who is eternal but was, verse 2, manifested in time, and John is giving testimony and proclaiming this message of the eternal life. Who was with the Father, end of verse 2, and then came in the flesh, was manifested to John and the other apostles. And John is proclaiming that message. He's proclaiming that for the sake of fellowship, fellowship between believers, but also fellowship, he says, is with the Father, that When Jesus Christ came, 
came in the flesh and offered, of course, salvation through faith in him. When we come to a knowledge of Jesus Christ and come into fellowship with him, we also come into fellowship with the Father and, of course, the Spirit. There is the fellowship of the Spirit, as Paul speaks of in Philippians. And that brings us great joy. It says, these things we write so that our joy may be made complete. Joy, this attitude of mind and heart that finds satisfaction in God and in Christ. I was reading one author who said, you shouldn't go to the dictionary to find a definition of joy. You should go to the Bible. And that's true. True joy is found in God. Knowing that those things that we have that may produce joy are just gifts and demonstrations of his love and goodness. John says in verse 5 that he has heard a message and he wants to announce that message. It's a message heard from him, he says, verse 5, and then announced to those that he's writing to. And it's a message of God as light. God is light, he says, and in him there is no darkness at all. John is touching on a theme that's really filled the scriptures. Light and darkness, we find in the very first page of the Bible as God created light and as you see God's word unfold that creation of light is associated with God himself and also with truth and what is good James 1:18 says every good in Perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Colossians chapter 1, he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, which is a kingdom of light, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And when we see application to Christians of light, it is not only associated with God and truth and knowledge, but also a practical living of holiness. In fact, as we come to Christ, we become children of light. Paul said in Ephesians, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not be partakers with them, for you were formerly darkness, But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. How do you walk as children of light? Well, he goes on to say, For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. And he says, Do not participate in the unfruitful works or deeds of darkness. And so light is a symbol of truth and good and also regarding our conduct. We can walk in light. We can walk in that which is righteous, holy, truth, what is pleasing to God, the path that God has laid out for us in imitation of himself because God is a God of truth and righteousness and holiness. We also have light in the scriptures as a symbol of knowledge, 
darkness as a symbol of ignorance. Again, Paul in Ephesians speaks of someone being darkened in their understanding. But when you come to the Lord, you come to light. God enlightens. He illuminates. Because he is light. And when salvation comes to a life, there's light. In fact, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 6, For God who said light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. And so you have light and darkness. And John is touching upon this theme, but he's really stating a truth about God. God is light. And in him there is no darkness at all. There's only good. There's only truth. There's only righteousness. There's not a mixture in God. God is only good. He is only holy. And this is a message that Christ proclaimed. Notice it says in verse 5, this is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light. And you can look through the pages of the Gospels for a time when Jesus said the Father is light, and you won't see it stated just like that. I would ask you to turn over to John chapter 12. And I believe when John says what he says here, he draws attention to the truth that Jesus proclaimed about himself, but also about his Father. John chapter 12, verse 35. He's speaking to Jews. He's foretelling his death. The crowd is listening. And he tells this crowd, verse 35, So Jesus said to them, For a little while longer the light is among you. Walk while you have the light, so that darkness will not overtake you. He who walks in the darkness does not know where he goes. While you have the light, believe in the light, so that you may become sons of light. Of course, Jesus announced that he was the light of the world. This is not new as far as what he's telling them, but look down at verse 44 says, And Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in me does not believe in me, but in him who sent me. And so who sent Jesus? The Father sent Jesus into this world. And he says in verse 45, He who sees me sees the one who sent me. Verse 46, I have come as a light or as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. And if you understand what Jesus is saying, he is making a very clear connection between himself and the Father. So Jesus is light, but the Father is light. God is light. And in him there is no darkness at all. He who sees me, he said in verse 45, sees the one who sent me. This is why one of the Christian creeds in the early centuries of the church read this way, We believe in one God, the Father of Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God of God, light of light, true God 
of true God, begotten and not made. This message that Jesus proclaimed of light was true of him. It's true of the Father. And of course, it's true of, if it's true of God, it's true of the Spirit as well. Turn, if you would, back to 1 John chapter 1. This message that John is announcing, he had heard from Christ, and so John is a messenger. This is an authoritative message. The word that is used here refers to carrying a message or bringing back a message. John had been with Christ. Now he's taking this message to others. He has personal knowledge of Christ, verses 1 through 4, and, of course, Christ's message. And this theological message, as I said, is connected with Scripture. It is connected with the very presence of God, not just the truth, not just knowledge, not just the way of righteousness, but with the very presence of God. How did God lead the children of Israel out of Egypt but in a pillar of fire? How did he appear to Moses on Mount Sinai but in light? It's what caused Moses' face to shine. When Jesus was transfigured on the top of the mountain, what took place? Well, light came shining out of him. This was to be in the presence of God. And God, of course, the Father testified, this is my beloved son, hear him. And we can find other places for sure in scripture, even statements about God shining upon people. The Lord shine upon you or cause his face to shine upon us, Numbers six twenty six. And then, of course, as God works, as he does what he does, he gives the light of knowledge. His truth is light for the path in your light. Psalm 36, verse 9, we see light. And then when he sends Christ in the world, he even said in Isaiah 49 that he would be, Christ would be, a light to the nations. Not just to the Jews, but a light to the nations so that God's salvation would reach to the end of the earth. What is our response to light? It was interesting, someone made the comment, one of the commentaries I was reading, that we oftentimes see bumper stickers or signs about God being love. But it is lesser that people say that God is light. Not to say that people don't emphasize that as well, but we don't always see that emphasized. John said in John 3.19, this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world and men love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. So I say, what is the reaction or what is the response to light on the part of sinful man? It's not to run towards the light. Not unless God does a work in their heart. Not unless the Lord does a work in our heart. But apparently in the first century, as John is writing, there were those who claimed to have come to the light of God 
And yet, they did not live consistently with that claim. John is dealing with three false claims here in this this section at the end of the chapter regarding sin. You notice in verse 6, he says, if we say, and then again in verse 8, if we say, and then again in verse 10, if we say, if we make a claim, if we make a claim, if we make a claim, so what are these claims? And I would suggest they are false claims. Their claims regarding sin, one that involves a lie, one that involves self-deception, and one that involves a blasphemy. There's a claim here, first of all, that involves a lie, and then we'll look at a claim that involves self-deception, and then the last one is a claim that involves blasphemy. If God is light, we need to walk in the light. But John says there are those who say, verse 6, if we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. And so John has been talking about fellowship and calling those who he's writing to, to the blessing of fellowship and says our fellowship is with, of course, one another, but also with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. But If someone claims that, that they have fellowship with God and yet walks in darkness, John says that's a lie. What does it mean to have fellowship with God if we say that we have fellowship with him? Well, the biblical word is koinonia. It means a contribution or a sharing or a participation, an association, Someone who is a koinonos is a sharer. They have something in common with someone else. So when it comes to fellowship with God, God, of course, has called us into fellowship with himself through his son. He says that in 1 Corinthians 1.9, God is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. As we come to have fellowship with Christ, partnership, communion, relationship, by faith, we know God. We have communion with God. We trust in God. We worship God. We serve God. And God, on his side, does the same. And he provides strength for our service. And he energizes us by his grace. He blesses us as we come into fellowship with him. But it's possible Because John says here, if we say that we have fellowship, it's possible that someone would say, even someone who attends a church, is a member of a church, someone who has a claim to knowing God, they could make that claim and at the same time be living in darkness, be walking in darkness. And that claim of fellowship with God, accompanied by that walking in darkness, of course, is a contradiction. What does it mean to walk in darkness? I already referenced a few passages from Ephesians, but walking in darkness is doing that which displeases God, which is a breaking of his commandments. If you look over at 1 John chapter 2, Verse 9, it says, the one who says he's in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. 
And so there's a claim there to be in the light or to belong to the light, to belong to God. And yet what is practically taking place in his life is he has hatred for his brother. He does not have a self-sacrificial giving. Instead, he has either indifference or actually active purpose to harm or mistreat. Sometimes we think in terms of hatred as someone who is acting in an antagonistic way, but hatred is expressed in other ways too. Sometimes hatred is just simply silence towards someone. Contempt, refusing even to acknowledge the existence or to speak to someone. And so John, look at what he says. Verse 8, on the other hand, 1 John 2, 8, on the other hand, I'm writing a new commandment to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. The one who says he's in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. And so a person could make this claim and yet live without a relationship of love to other people. Paul also describes the works of darkness in Romans chapter 13 and just listen. The night is almost gone, the day is near, therefore let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy. <coughs> Those six sins are characteristic of darkness. Sins of excess, revelry and drunkenness. Sins of licentiousness, promiscuity, and sensuality, which leads towards promiscuity or wickedness, sexual sin. And then, of course, sins that destroy relationships, such as strife, fighting with words or actions, sinful conflict, and jealousy, which is wanting what someone else has or the opportunities or gifts that they have. It sometimes manifests itself in hostility towards someone who has what you want. And you might look at that list or listen to that list and say, I'm not so sure, but I would just ask you this question as well. You may not be in your life actively participating, doing those things, but do you delight in those things in your heart? Do you watch those things approvingly or with amusement as a part of your entertainment? Do you look at darkness without turning your eyes away because as you behold it, there's something that you enjoy about it? We're to have nothing to do with the unfruitful works of darkness. And it is really devil-like to look on approvingly or without a judgment that says that is sin. The sin that John is speaking of here is someone who says they have fellowship with light, the one who is completely pure and holy, and yet they're walking in darkness. Disobedience, unrighteousness, sin. 
And so it certainly puts your claim in question. Like John says, if we say that and yet walk in darkness, we lie. We do not practice the truth. That's the charge. If we claim to have fellowship with God who is light but walk in darkness, which he disapproves us, disapproves of, we add this to our sin. We're lying as well. It's like what Paul said in Titus 1.16, they profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny him, being detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good deed. Now, is it possible that someone could be here this morning claiming to have a relationship with God? Claiming to be in fellowship with God? And yet walking in darkness? Walking in a path of sin consistently, continually, without turning from it? Of course that's possible. John is addressing professing believers. Does this happen in churches? All the time. All the time. Some people are honest enough to acknowledge they don't have a relationship with God as they're walking in darkness. But there are many people who are living in darkness, walking in darkness, and still claim to somehow know God. And God is a loving God. He loves sinners. But God is also light. God is holy. God is pure. God is righteous. And those who come to God, it doesn't mean that they are perfect or become completely holy or completely righteous, but they recognize that they have been living in darkness and they renounce those deeds of darkness and they turn to the path of light and start walking on the path of light. In fact, that's the correction. The claim is that you have a fellowship with God. The contradiction is that you walk in darkness. The charge is we lie and do not practice the truth. But then the correction is in verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. Now this is a wonderful verse. If we walk in in the light. This is a practical effect of knowing the light and being in the light is walking in the light. That is, it has to do with our creed. It's what we believe. Jesus, as he claimed to be the light of the world, those who followed him had to confess that truth. But it also had to do with their conduct, their behavior. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. But then he said, he who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So walking in the light has to do with the right belief, the right understanding of who God is, of who Jesus is, of who the Father is. But if it doesn't have any effect on your conduct or your behavior There is no fellowship with God. Because God is light. Notice that John reemphasizes that, but if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light. 
that phrase, as he himself is in the light, I think sometimes in the context of trying to understand all that John was saying here gets overlooked. I was encouraged when I saw Spurgeon taking a little time to meditate on it, and I thought I'd share it with you. When he says, as he himself is in the light, Spurgeon says, the thought of that dazzles me. I have tried to look it in the face, but I cannot endure it. If we walk in the light as God is in the light, can we ever attain to this? Shall poor flesh and blood ever be able to walk as clearly in the light of God as he is whom we call our Father, of whom it is written, God is light and in him is no darkness at all? Let us say this much and then commend this wonderful expression to your meditation. Certainly this is the model which is set before us. For the Savior himself said, be you perfect, or be ye perfect, even as your Father who is in heaven is perfect. And if we take anything short of absolute perfection as our model of life, we shall certainly, even if we should attain to our ideal, fall short of the glory of God. He says, beloved, when a schoolmaster writes the copy at the head of the page, he does not expect the boy will come up to the copy. But then if the copy is not a perfect one, it's not fit to be imitated by a child. I'm taking that as perhaps handwriting or something where the example set before the student is such that the student can imitate. The student may not be able to perfectly imitate, but that's the goal. If it's not a perfect goal, that student will never come to the place where they're able to write it properly. And then I love what he says here. He says, and so our God gives us himself as the pattern and copy. Be you imitators of God as dear children, for nothing short of himself would be a worthy model. In other words... It is the commandments of God that direct our actions and our life, but ultimately those commandments come from a being, God, who lives perfectly, who loves perfectly, who does righteousness always. He always does justice. He never fails once. He always forgives. And so we're called to imitate him. I like the illustration he gives. He said, said, though we as life sculptors may feel that we never can rival the perfection of God, yet we are to seek after it and never to be satisfied until we attain it. It's that phrase, life sculptors. If we are sculpting our life, if our life is being fashioned and changed, What's the model? What's the image that we're looking to? The tragedy is many people are just looking at the world. And they're looking at people in the world. And they're not thinking about sculpting their life after God. They're thinking about sculpting their life after some wicked person. And that's not the standard. The standard is God in his holy perfection, his holy righteousness, his holy love. We may never come to that in terms of equality. We never will. 
but in terms of the quality, someone said, of our life, we should be resembling that. There should be light coming from our life. And that should, that should be in our behavior. The things that we do should be different than the things that the world does. The ways that we think should be different because we are informed by the light of God. And John says, if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, that's the standard. He says, we have fellowship with one another. And, and the way that that's translated, when it says one another, you have a small O, one another. And there are some who take that as referring to fellowship with fellow believers. The problem with that is in the context here, he's talking about fellowship with God. And I would suggest that it's, it's, that's related. Fellowship with other believers is related. But if the translators had capitalized it, what would have happened? We would have thought of God and not of us. Because whenever something refers to God, sort of like word of life, earlier in the chapter, it's a divine title, it's capitalized. But we are not, our, it's, that reference to us is not capitalized. But the reference to God would be. And so the idea is, if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. I have fellowship with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit have fellowship with me. If I'm walking in light. God is blessing that. He's giving grace for that. He's directing that. He's giving knowledge of that, for that. And so it's a wonderful thing as we pursue holiness and we walk in the light that this gives evidence that we do have fellowship with God. That is what God energizes. He doesn't give his blessing to the darkness. He doesn't prosper those who are in darkness. He opposes them. And I want you to notice, lastly in this verse, we're not talking about something that is perfection on our part. In other words, the pursuit of righteousness, the pursuit of holiness, the pursuit of doing what is pleasing to God in this life, we're never going to attain to perfection. And John here is telling us that because he says in the context of having walking in the light and having fellowship with God, that in that context, the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So this is not a sinless existence. It's certainly a repentant life. It's a life that turns away from sin. But it's a life that involves, notice what it says, the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. There's cleansing that's taking place. And why is the cleansing taking place? Because there's repentance, there's confession, there's turning, and God cleanses that. And the blood of Jesus Christ, notice what it says, cleanses us. I don't know how many people John is writing to. But even if it was just our congregation... The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us. So how many sins do you have? How many transgressions, iniquities? How many times have you fallen short of the mark? 
and multiply that times everyone in here for all your life long. And let's just add another church to that. And another church. And another church. And all of those Christians in this generation. But what about the last century and the century before? And the ones going back to the first century and prior to the first century to all those who by faith in God were still cleansed by the blood of Christ. But God passed over their sins which they had before committed. But when Christ came and offered his sacrifice once for all, the blood of Jesus Christ cleansed all of those and has the power to cleanse. What does that tell you about the effectiveness of Christ's blood? And notice what John says, from all sin. It's all of it. It's not just a part of it. It doesn't just get the big picture but leaves sort of stuff on the edges. It covers all of it and cleanses all of it for all of his people. There's a greatness, as someone has said, to what is stated here. The blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And there's more to meditate on. I would commend to you this sermon that Spurgeon preached on just that verse called Walking in the Light and Washed in the Blood. So let me ask you, in application, are you making a claim today that you walk in fellowship with God? Is that your claim? And then let me ask you as well, if you make that claim at the same time, are you walking in darkness? That's one way the Lord gets our attention. I don't know what that was. Are we out of microphone here? We still got it. Are you walking in darkness? I'll never forget a time in high school when I was at an outdoor auditorium. I think I may have shared this with you. And the person who was preaching said that the devil will do anything to get you distracted from the message of the Word of God. And a bat flew in to the auditorium while we were listening to him. And as this bat flew around, he said, see, that's exactly what I'm talking about. And man, did he have our attention. Is it possible that God just wanted attention drawn to that question? Through a quirk in our microphone system here. Are you walking in darkness? Claiming to have fellowship with God? John just says, if that's the case, we lie. We do not practice the truth. Let's quickly look at these other two claims. Look at verse 8. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. This is a claim that involves a denial of having personal sin. Not of never having sin, but perhaps coming to the point through some means to have no sin in your life. Sin has been somehow eradicated. And one commentator made the 
point here that the way in which John says this is significant. He doesn't say we do not sin. Instead, he says we have no sin. That's the claim. So he's not using the verb, he's using the noun, and he says the noun describes the cause and the consequence of an act of disobedience. So the idea is we have no sin, sin is not a part of my life, I'm not only not doing sin, but I don't have it anymore. And I would ask the question, is there a secret to Christian living that can bring a person to be living without sin, to come to the place where they can say, I have no sin? Is there some kind of special knowledge that someone can gain, and through that knowledge they can learn not how, to, or how not to sin at all? Or is there some kind of special experience that brings a person to a point of perfection? I think John's simple answer, without getting into all those details, is just No. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. So the first claim involved a lie. This claim involves a self-deception. You can deceive yourself into thinking that you don't have sin. Why is this a self-deception? Because God's word is true and God's word, as he gives it, tells us we are sinners and we do have sin. Not only have we sinned in Adam, our federal head, but we also sin all the time, even as believers. Read Romans 7 and see Paul's own experience in chapter 8 where he says that the life of a believer is to be putting sin to death. The life of a Christian is not a sinless one. It is putting off sin. It is mortifying sin. It is turning from sin. The Proverbs says, Proverbs 29, verse 9 says, who, uh, Proverbs 20, verse 9 says, who can say, I have cleansed my heart, I am pure from my sin? Who can say that? Ecclesiastes 7, 20, Solomon said it this way, indeed, there's not a righteous man on earth who continually does good and who never sins. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is no one who does good, not even one. Read Romans 3, everyone sins. Read James 3, everyone sins with their tongue. If you don't sin with your tongue, you're a perfect person. Jesus was the only one. So you claim that you don't have sin, but you're deceiving yourself because God says that you do. And in the life of a Christian, you come to the place where not only do you realize that you're sinful, but as you're informed by the word of God, you realize how sinful you are. And you say things like the Apostle Paul, not that I have already obtained or have become perfect. This is an apostle who was carried up to the third heaven, who saw God, who saw Jesus Christ, who lives as an apostle preaching the gospel everywhere, and yet he said, I haven't obtained. I'm not perfect yet. He said, I'm less than the least of all saints, Ephesians 3. He said, I'm least to the apostles, 1 Corinthians 15. He said, I'm the chief of sinners, 1 Timothy 1. So the charge here that John gives is not only self-deception, but the truth is not in us. God's word informs us that we do sin. Jesus even put a petition in the mouth of his disciples as they prayed their prayer, forgive us for our sins. That's a daily prayer. 
Give us this day our daily bread. Same prayer. Forgive us for our sins. It tells us we have sins every day. Sins, plural. So in this life, we always need to be putting off sin and putting on righteousness. In this life, we always need to be putting on the new self and putting off the old. We need to be putting on Christ and putting off the deeds of the flesh. Progressive sanctification is just that. It is progressive. You will not reach perfection in this life. It's only when you're glorified that you'll be glorified. Until then, yes, you'll wrestle with sin if you're a believer. You can't say that without self-deception. So let me ask you, are you deceiving yourself? Are you saying that you have no sin? Kind of come to a point in your life where you're just not confessing sin? See, that's the correction to this one because John, as he continues on, says in verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But if you're not confessing your sins, is that, is that really what's going on in your life? You, you think you don't have sin anymore? You think you've gotten to the place where you just don't sin? You're deceived. You're self-deceived. We need to spend more time on verse 9, but I want to look at it here briefly. What does John say? If we confess our sins, that's the opposite of saying we don't have any. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Confession of sin is an open and honest acknowledgement of our disobedience to God's command, our breaking of his laws. You may have heard that confessing here is saying the same thing about your sin that God says, and that's plays on the etymology of the word homologeo, to say, and the same. So when you confess something, you're acknowledging the truth about it. So when you confess Jesus as Lord, you're actually acknowledging what is true. As long as you go on without confessing Jesus Christ as Lord, you're trying to live in a world that does not exist because Jesus is Lord. To fail to see that is to believe a lie. But when you confess your sins, you are acknowledging what is true about what you have done. And as long as you go on without confessing your sins, you're failing to see what God says is true. Or you're failing to acknowledge it. You might see it, but fail to acknowledge it because you never actually admit it. And you know what it's like to tell someone something and they just won't admit it even though they know that it's true because of pride, arrogance? Have you ever denied something that someone said until you were forced to finally admit it when proof positive was before your very eyes? So confession is saying what God says about this sin, declaring what it is. Rather than hiding your sins or excusing your sins or defending your sins or ignoring your sins or minimizing your sins or remaining silent about your sins, you need to confess your sins to God. He's the one that we confess to. 
And if you don't confess and instead you conceal, what does the scripture say? Proverbs 28, 13, he who conceals his sins or his transgressions will not prosper. You will not succeed. You'll not be successful in your life and what you do. In fact, God will oppose that in your life, especially as his own child. He loves his children enough to oppose them when they walk in ways that are not pleasing to him. When Solomon used that word prosper, that same word is used in Genesis 39 when Joseph was with Potiphar. It says the master saw the Lord was with him and how the Lord caused all that he did to prosper in his hand. So in Joseph's life, he saw the prosperity of God. God was with him. He was giving him success. And of course, he was falsely accused. You might think of that as boy, that doesn't sound like success to me. And now he's in prison. That doesn't sound like success to me. But when he's in prison, the scripture says Joseph came to the point where the chief jailer did not supervise anything under Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it to prosper. He who conceals his transgressions will not prosper. But... He who confesses, admits, acknowledges to God, and forsakes them will find compassion. You'll find the mercy of God, the forgiveness of God. It's a wonderful thing to watch David when he was confronted. And we don't like the scene because of all the circumstances, but as soon as Nathan confronted David about his sin and David said, I have sinned, you remember what Nathan said? The Lord has also put away your sin. It was an immediate forgiveness. God has lifted it, carried it away. Now there were consequences for David, but in terms of his relationship with God, God forgave. And why did God forgive David? Because God, God's very character and his nature is as a forgiving God. That's what he proclaimed to Moses on the top of the mountain. And he has made promises to forgive. You look at God's word and see his promises regarding forgiveness. It's a wonderful thing to know that God removes our transgressions from us as far as the east is from the west. He said in Acts 13, Paul preaching the gospel, let it be known to you, brethren, that through him, through Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And through him, everyone who believes is freed or justified from all things from which you could not be freed from the law of Moses. And so God is faithful and he is just to forgive us our sins as we confess them and he cleanses us. Now, this is not that initial cleansing and justification. This is that cleansing that takes place in connection with our relationship with God. That has to do with our fellowship with God. It brings us back into renewed and right fellowship. It's, when, it's like when people reconcile with one another and they forgive each other and they're back in fellowship one with another. That's what's taking place here. Are we forgiven? Yes, we're forgiven because of what Christ did. But in the course of our life, when we find sin in our life, and we're either confronted 
by someone else or confronted by the word of God and then we're convicted, we're convinced that yes, we have sin, maybe just our conscience, and we confess that, then we're forgiven and we're cleansed and we're washed and we're once again in right fellowship with God. Are you in fellowship with God? Are you in fellowship with God? Are you in communion with God? See, to come to the Lord's table, we call it communion because we share this with one another. But this is the Lord's table. And so, certainly, if there is sin in your life that needs to be confessed and forsaken, provision has been made through the blood of Christ, and he will cleanse you and renew that fellowship today. It may have been some time since you were in fellowship with God. And the fact is, it's possible that you have never been in fellowship with God, and you need to come to him for that initial cleansing. And he offers that as well. Though your sins be as scarlet, they will be as white as snow. That's the promise that he offers. And he would be unfaithful and unjust not to forgive you if you came to him on the basis of that promise. And so coming to him, you can have the confidence as a faithful and just God that he will forgive you, that he'll cleanse you, that he'll wash you. Whether you're a believer in need of that relational cleansing, that cleansing that brings you back into fellowship, or whether you're in need of that initial cleansing as you come to Christ and find forgiveness for your sins. May the Lord help us all today to be in right fellowship with the Lord. Let's look to him in prayer. Lord, we bow and we are thankful for the blood of Jesus Christ as we remember him today and we remember his sacrifice offered for us his blood shed for us. We pray that you'd help us to examine ourselves and to make sure that we're in fellowship with you. Even in these moments, Lord, as we take some time to examine ourselves, help us to ask the question if we're deceiving ourselves. Help us to ask the question if we're truly walking in darkness. And we pray that you'd give us grace to repent. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.